Good morning. We're going to look at two passages in reading to begin with. So go to Ephesians 4. We'll read 11 through 16 and then in 1 John, which is where we will be spending the next two weeks at least in the book of 1 John. A home, the building of edification. So in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And then in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. So, Lord, as we're looking at the building of edification where family members grow, Father, we're praying this morning, even as Paul prayed, so I would just echo, please, break your word fresh to us. Give us ears to hear Minister your truth to us this morning by your Holy Spirit and bless it. No, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So this week in the building of the church, we move into the home. The building of edification where family members grow. And so there'll be two parts to it. The building of edification and then next week where family members grow. Edification is the instruction or improvement of a person. It's the act of building someone up, of bringing someone closer to fullness or completion. There's a poem called The Builder. The author is not known. And this poem goes like this. I saw them tearing a building down, a team of men in my hometown. With a heave and a hoe and a yes, yes yell, they swung a beam and a sidewall fell. And I said to the foreman, are these men skilled, like the ones you'd use if you had to build? And he laughed and said, oh, no, indeed, the most common labor is all I need, for I can destroy in a day or two what takes a builder 10 years to do. So I thought to myself as I went on my way, which one of those roles am I willing to play? Am I one who is tearing down as I carelessly make my way around? Or am I one who builds with care in order to make the world a little better because I was there? Edification is the building up of someone, bringing them to a fuller completion in their lives. So the question is this morning, how is it that you feel most edified, most improved, most built up? 
And I'm going to dare to answer that question for you this morning. It is when you know love and as you show love that you are edified. It's both. It's when you know love and as you show love. So our focus in the family must always be on building one another up in love. So in these two studies, a home, the building of edification where family members grow, give me a little, little six-word progression. To know God is to know love. To know love is to show love, and to show love is to grow. To know God is to know love. To know love, if I really know love, then I will show love, and as I show love, I grow as a human being and particularly as a Christian. The love we're talking about is the agape love of God. It's the preeminent love of God. The value of the person loved is given by the one who's loving. It's an unconditional love. The value that we have is because God has given us that love. And his agape love is the preeminent love of God that we're talking about. We must make no, no mistake about it. Never, ever minimize it that we know love because God loves us. We know love because God demonstrated his love toward us. So over and over again, the Bible focuses us and refocuses us on God's love demonstrated on the cross where he came and died for us. And so we read 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a sac substitute sacrifice for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love because God laid his life down for us over and over again. How do we know love? God is love. To know love is to know God. How do we know God's love? He demonstrated it to us and continuously brings us back to the cross where Jesus died for us. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still, what? Sinners, Christ died for us. Are you not thankful that God demonstrated his love to us very clearly with no question he loves us, he is love, to know love is to know God. Amen. To know love is to show love. And to show love is to grow. So the gauge of our love is the gauge of our growth. Now, we're going to take our, our instruction in these next two weeks from the epistle of 1 John. 1 John is a little letter that is, has a whole lot of love in it. In fact, in my New King James Bible, the word love is found in this little epistle 46 times. Do you know how many times I found it throughout the Bible? 546 times. That means in 1 John, over nine times per chapter, the word love is mentioned. In the rest of the Bible, it's less than one time in two plus chapters. And get this, if you add John's gospel and his two other little epistles, you have 110 times that the word love is mentioned. So it's almost triple in just what John wrote to us. Now, John is known as the beloved. In fact, in his gospel, 
Five times he's writing this gospel and he says this, him whom Jesus loved. Talking about himself. At the Last Supper, we read his gospel. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. At the cross, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, it says, Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by his mother and said, woman, behold your son. In John chapter 20, verse 2, Mary Magdalene running from the empty tomb, she ran across, came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. John chapter 21, verse 7, as they're at the Sea of Galilee and Jesus makes his appearance to them. And as they're fishing, he says, throw it on the other side. They catch this humongous group uh, catch of fish. Therefore, it says, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And then finally in John 21, 20, after Peter's res restoration by Jesus, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? We read, Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I think Peter might have had a little angst about that. He had just failed, but he knows that Jesus loves John. Five times. Now, brothers and sisters, we can write the same thing. I think we ought to be writing that. Kevin, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Put your name there. You see, to know love is to know God. His love for us is why we know what love is. The preeminent agape love. Tradition has it that when John the Apostle was very old and he could no longer walk, that they used to carry him into the church at Ephesus. And as they were carrying him, he came to one simple phrase that he repeated often, beloved, love one another. Beloved, love one another. John the beloved came to a place where he realized, hey, this is what it is all about, is love, the love of God. And so a home, the building of edification where family members are growing. So this morning, I want to give you three truths about knowing love. Next week, we'll look at three truths about showing love. Number one, love is perfected when we walk in the light. Love is perfected when we walk in the light, or you might say, as we walk in the light. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Sin is the breaking of the law. And so sin destroys love. Sin is not loving. So look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. The first thing about walking in the light is confessing our sin. Very simple. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And John talks a lot about love. He talks a lot about truth. They go hand in hand. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To walk in the light is not walking in perfection. It's walking in examination of my life as God has intended it to be lived. 
And let me tell you, the truth is, I most naturally am unloving. Can I hear an amen? It needs to be better than that. Amen. Naturally, I'm unloving. I'm selfish and self-centered. I've got my agendas and my things I want to see happening. So often, the, the, the need I have is to repent of my unloving life. So walking in the light, first of all, by confessing my sin to God. And because of his provision for me on the cross, I can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. John goes on to say, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. My little children, chapter 2, these things I write to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the substitute sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but for the whole world. Secondly, love is perfect when we walk in the light. Number one, by confessing our sins. Secondly, by keeping his commandments. Notice what he goes on to say. Now, by the way, I call this the circle of love that John lays out for us in 1 John. Now, you've heard of the lion king and they had the circle of life. Well, let me tell you, that's a lion king because there's no such thing as what they talk about. But there is a circle of love that John gives to us in his, in his epistle. It goes like this, verses 3 and 4. Now, by this we know love that we... Now, by this we know that we, that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, John, he talks a lot about love, but he also says, you're a liar. And you think, that's a little harsh. Well, it's true. And John says, hey, if you say these things, you're lying. It can't be true. So, number one, to know God is to keep his commandments. Now, verses 5 and 6. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Again, the perfecting of love. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So to know God is to keep his commandments. Next, to keep his commandments is to have his love perfected in us. To have his love perfected in us is to abide in him. And to abide in him is to walk as he walked. If you want this, I'll send it to you. Now, verses 7 through 11, the 711 scriptures. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. God's word does not change. Love and the fulfillment of the law, love is the fulfillment of the law. That doesn't change. You look at the Ten Commandments, that's the expression of, of living, living a loving life. It's the boundaries of love that God sets up. If we were to live according to the Ten Commandments, we would experience what God intended us to, to experience in love. And so, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So the light's there as we take what we know from the old, the, saint, the truths of God and begin obeying them. It begins to bring the greater light of God's truth to bear on our lives and the lives of other people. So the old becomes new as I obey God and keep his commandments. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. 
But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So it's really not complicated in that sense. To love God, to be perfected in love, is to keep his commandments. To have his love perfected in us is to abide in him, and to abide in him is to walk as he walked. And then to walk as he walked is to love our brothers. And now it says in 1 John, verse, if you want to flip there a moment, 1 John chapters 4, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. This is a song we used to sing. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so the final is to love our brother is to know God, and we're back where we started. To know God is to keep his commandments. To keep his commandments is to have love for his love perfected in us. To have his love perfected in us is to abide in him. To abide in him is to walk as he walked. To walk as he walked is to love our brothers, and to love our brothers is to know God. So we can't say we love God and not love our brothers whom we have seen. So we're going to talk more about this in our next study, the, the, the showing of love. But let's move on. Love is perfected when we walk in the light. Number one, by confessing our sins. Secondly, by keeping his commandments. And third, by growing spiritually. Notice in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 or 14. He goes on and says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, he's going to give us four stages, if you will, of spiritual maturity in these verses. The term spiritual maturity as applied to a Christian is always a relative one. It is not an absolute one. What do I mean by that? A one-year-old child is mature for his or her age because they begin to form words, begin to take their first steps. It's glorious. That's what my grandson is doing right now. I keep saying, say, Grandpa, say, Grandpa. <laughs> He's taking about four or five steps. They're kind of running steps and falling into my arms, but I love that too. Now, if when Merrick is five years old and that's still going on, there's something that hasn't developed correctly. See, so it's relative to our walk with God. So as I grow, I should be maturing spiritually. If I'm going to be perfected in love, it means that I'm growing spiritually. I'm no longer an infant, which is the first one that he talks about there. There's a bumper sticker that says, I'm growing old, but I refuse to grow up. You know, unfortunately, that's a banner that's over our culture now. I read a book called The Death of the Grown-Up. And what's happened in our nation? I'll tell you what's happened. We've forsaken God. His love is cause and causes us to grow up. The edifying of each other, the body in love, that we may be edified in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So he says, little children, verse 12, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Here's the, indi the indicator with a child. They're newborn, they're delivered. That's how I look at this first one, an infant. Born again by the word of God, delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Born again, an infant. Your sins are forgiven you. That means put away, listen, put away permanently. You're born again. You're an infant in the faith. Then he goes on in verse 13, the end of it. 
I write to you little children because you have known the Father. Different word in the Greek. This word means half grown, young in their faith. They know they are children of God, but they have much to learn. So as you look at the, the infant is delivered, that young child, the word I put there is discipline. There's a need for training. There's a need for discipline. They've grown up, and, and in growing, they recognize and know their heavenly father. But they still need to learn quite a bit yet as young children. They're under instruction. They're immature, and they're stumbling. They're not old enough to move out yet. They're still needing the tutoring and training it would be like what they said to Jesus in Mark 10, 35. We want to, you to do for us whatever we want. That's the half grown. That, hey, I want you to do what I want. And that's the idea with that second little child. Now, the young men, verses 13 and 14, mentioned twice. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Verse 14, I, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. That means an endowed strength. Where does that strength come from? It's very clear. It comes from the word of God. So that young man moves from the delivered to the, to the being chastened by the Lord to now there's a devotion to God that's abiding in their lives. They're young men. They're strong. They've overcome the devil. They're daily feeding on the word of God, learn how to feed themselves. They're not just a once a meal kind of week, once a meal, one meal a week kind of man or woman. They've learned how to use the word of God and abide in the word of God and, and meditate in the word of God. They've grown in strength and stamina and spiritual skill with the word of God. They're mature and standing. They would say we ought to obey God rather than man. That would be the young men devoted to the Lord. And finally, and you got to love this, and it needs to be the goal of every one of us, the fathers. They are the ones who have depth. And what does it say about the fathers twice? You've got to love this. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. To know him. That's all it says about them. You've known him who's from the beginning. There's such a depth. They go back a long way in their relationship with God. There's a depth to draw from. And there they are, intimate and personal with God, far greater than the thirst for knowledge. It's a thirst to know him. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you may know him, the only true God. What God is taking us to is a deeper depth with him. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. What a great thing. You know what makes a father? Having children. John said, I write to you little children. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Is that not the case, moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas? We want to see our children walking in truth. We want to see them going deeper in the things of God than we were than we even have. That's the desire of the father, the mother. Now, the key to spiritual growth, John uses the term 21 times in his epistle. It's the word abide, abide. 
knowing the abiding love of the Spirit of God. Romans 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Notice what it says in 1 John 4, verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and notice, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit of God is the great communicator of the love of God. As God is ministering to me by his spirit, he's ministering to me his love by abiding in him. Now, he goes on to say in verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, abides, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this. Notice verse 17. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but here it is again. Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. You see, the Holy Spirit is the great communicator of the love of God. But God the Son is the great confidence we have because of God's love for us. We love him because he first loved us. We do not need to fear any longer. God has saved us. He secured us. And as we find ourselves knowing that, we abide without fear, without torment, that somehow we've, we've sort of slipped out of the great grace-filled grace love of God, keeping us in his hands and keeping us complete in him. Growing spiritually, the key is abiding. Abiding in the communication of the Holy Spirit that God is love. Abiding in the confidence that we have that God sent his son to communicate and give us assurance once for all that we never need to fear that God somehow no longer loves us, that somehow he doesn't save us any longer. So love is perfected when we walk in the light, confessing our sins, keeping his commandments, and growing spiritually. We'll talk more about that one next week. The second thing about love, it is opposed to all that is in the world. It is opposed to all that is in the world. This is knowing love. Love is perfected as we walk in the light. But know this about love. It is opposed to all that is in the world. Notice in verse, chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, notice, is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away. 
and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, love is opposed to all that is in the world. So the first thing is knowing the definition of the world. What does the Bible say? What is John writing about the world itself? Now, you have the world of creation. God created the world. You have the world of mankind. God so loved the world. But then you have an evil system that is opposed to God, opposed to his love. We call it the world of sports. We call it the world of entertainment. There is an evil system in the Bible called the world. And that's what John is talking about here. Love is opposed to all things in the world. So the definition is a system, Satan's system, for opposing the work of Christ on earth. It's an organized system. It's headed by Satan, and it leaves God out. It's alienated from God. It's in opposition to God. It is described as evil. In John 7, 7, Jesus said, The world cannot hate the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Galatians 1, 4. Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God. Paul talks about the sorrow of the world. It brings forth death. Opposed to godly sorrow, that brings a great deliverance from guilt and death. But the sorrow of the world is the sorrow that says, I'm sorry I got caught. Sorry I got busted. But not sorry for what it did as far as sin against God. James talks about the friendship with the world, his enmity against God. So he says here, love is opposed to all that is in the world. So number one, know the definition of the world that we're talking about. Secondly, knowing the dangers of the world, this evil system. If it's really true that the world is a, the world is a stage, then God's people should have stage fright because it's evil. It's opposed to God. To be, to knowing love, we must understand that it's a, this evil system is opposed to the love of God. Now, knowing the danger of the world, listen to what the Bible says of the Christian and the world. That we were in bondage under the elements of the world that Jesus chose us out of the world, that we are not of the world, that we should be hated by the world, that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, that God has chosen the weak things of the world and God has chosen the despised things of the world, that we are to be the light of the world, that we have not received the spirit of the world but the spirit which is from God. That, listen, that we can be deceived through philosophy and deceit according to the principles of the world. But we have died with Christ from those principles. Thus, we have to be careful because the Bible says we can be deceived by the world, the philosophies and thinkings of the world. You know what else it says in 2 Peter? We've escaped the pollutions of the world. How? Through the knowledge of the Lord. It also says that we can be entangled again in the pollutions 
of the world. So the great enemy to our spiritual growth is when we love the world. And so Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. John said, do not love the world, the lust of the flesh, which is our passions. So when we love our passions contrary to the love of God, we're in danger. Love not the world or the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. Secondly, he says, the lust of the eyes. Now here's another danger. The word is possessions. When we love our possessions contrary to the love of God, we're in danger. Jesus said the lamp of the body is the eye, the lust of the eyes. Therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great, Jesus said, is that darkness. You see, the world would love to darken our eyes. Darken how that we can't see the things in which we're now loving, contrary to the love of God. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. He didn't say no one probably can't serve two masters. He said you can't. Why? For either you will love one and hate the other, or you'll cling to one and despise the other. In context, it's, hey, What am I seeing with my eyes? What am I going after with my eyes? What are the treasures of my heart? You see, by knowing the dangers of the world, that is how I'm being perfected in love. I see them. I want to escape them. I want to reckon them dead. I want to do everything that I can to be growing as a Christian in maturity and growing in love. The third thing he says is the pride of life, and that's our position. When we love our position, contrary to the love of God, we're in danger. Pride. And so the danger of lust, the strong desires of my flesh. Now, what is the flesh? The flesh is that part of our nature which, when it is without the grace of Jesus Christ, offers a bridgehead to sin. Let me say that again. What is the flesh? The flesh is is that part of our fallen nature, the old man, which when it is without the grace of Jesus Christ, offers us a bridgehead to sin. James said, God's not tempting us with sin, but we're sin when we're drawn away by our own lust and enticed. It's gluttonous. It's slavish in pleasures. It's lustful and lax in morals. It's selfish in the use of possessions. It disregards all spiritual values. It's extravagant in the gratification of material possession. That's the flesh. The flesh's desire has no regard for the commandments of God, no regard for the judgments of God, no regard for the standards of God, indeed, no regard for the very existence of God. That's the flesh and the world. Romans says, the mind of the flesh is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be so. Then those that are in the flesh cannot please God. Galatians says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary the one to the other. 
so that you cannot do the things that you want to do. See, we have this battle going on. We must understand the dangers of the world and the things that are in the world, the dangers of flesh, the dangers of lust, the danger of pride, if we're going to be those that are being perfected in love, knowing love. Now, notice what John goes on to write. We're not going to get into this passage at this point. But notice in 1 John 2.18, following this, he says, little children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even so now many Antichrists have already come, by which we know that it's the last hour. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the world's getting better? Do you think your flesh is getting better? Do you think your lusts, apart from the grace of God, are going to get better? No, they're going to continue wanting to gain more ground. That's the truth. And so he says, verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. So God has given to us his word, given to us his commandments. We know those things. I have not written to you, verse 21, because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Boy, I lie to myself often. How about you? Oh, that's okay, and that's okay, and that's okay. You see, it's not that God's condemning me. What he's doing is wanting to walk in the light so he can illuminate these things so that I can confess them and repent of them and God can cleanse me from them so that I can then be knowing what love is. Beloved, verse, go to verse John 4. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out where? Into the world. You are of God, little children, overcome them, notice, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Can I hear an amen? amen? It's the living spirit of God in our hearts, the communicating of his love, the son of God giving us that confidence and assurance that yes, indeed, I am a child of God. And thus I'm knowing love from which then I can grow in love and show love. Look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes what? The world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. What? Our faith. Our faith. Given to us. And the Holy Spirit invigorating and causing us to grow in these things that we know are true. We know God. In knowing God, we know love. In knowing love, we show love. And in showing love, we grow in the truth. You know, the world says I can choose to do whatever I want. No problem. You know what the Bible says? Big problems. Big problems. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap, dis what, what's the word? Corruption. But if we sow to the Spirit, we're going to reap everlasting life. What are you sowing today, brother, sister, in the Lord? What are you sowing to? Is it to the things of the Spirit? How much time are you spending sowing the Word of God into your life? How much time are you spending in prayer before God? How much time are you spending in fellowship with the believers? You see, the time that you spend sowing is going to be the same thing that you're going to be reaping when you see that harvest come in. And what are you going to reap? You know, we sow, we sow our wild oats and we hope to get a great crop of wheat. You can't do it. Can't do it. Everything God says about the flesh is negative. It profits nothing. 
There's, in it dwells no good thing. It makes, make no provision for it. Crucify it. Put no confidence in the flesh. But yield yourselves in faith to God. There's this unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is tempting us. It appeals to our flesh. The flesh is tempted by the world. You know, it'd be great if no temptation was a temptation, wouldn't it? You know, the reason it's temptation because it's alluring to what? Our flesh. Jesus said, pray to your Father, lead us not into temptation. Now, wait a second. I thought God didn't lead us. He doesn't. But you see, the Holy Spirit is leading us through this world, and the world has this evil system. So as I'm going and being led by the Holy Spirit of God, the world, the devil, is going to tempt me to take side roads. So it says, lead us not into temptation. In other words, Lord, as I'm following you, help me to keep following you. Keep yielding to you. Keep walking after you. Now he says, lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from the evil one. See, we have a tempter, the devil. He uses the world which appeals to our flesh to lead us into temptation and thus into bondage and into things that are destructive and things that lead us away from knowing love. Listen to this little poem. I love it. All the water in the world, however hard it tried, could never sink the smallest ship unless it got inside. All the evil in the world, the wickedness and sin can never sink the soul's majestic craft unless it gets within. He is the keeper of my soul. That's my Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He's continuously ministering to me confidence and assurance of his love. And then leading me in paths of righteousness through the word. The final thought is that love is purified in the hope that we will see him. Love is purified in the hope that we will see him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The hope is in what we are, children of God. Can I hear an amen? Behold what manner. That, that whole thing is, it's, an, it's a word, it's a phrase of astonishment. And we should be astonished. Behold what manner of love the Father's bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Now, I can understand why someone might, might, might at times not want to be my child. But I can never understand how anyone would not want to be a child of God. Romans says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That we're heirs of Christ and joint heirs with Christ. Amen. He said, amen. He said, the Father has bestowed on us. That word means lavished on us. Can you get it? Can you get it? Can we receive it? He's lavished upon us saying, you're my child. By nature, a man is the creature of God, but only by his grace does he become a child of God. 
the hope not only of what we are, but the hope of what we shall be. It has not yet appeared. Can I hear an amen? It has not yet appeared. If someone were to say, Kevin, I'm a little disappointed in you, which does happen quite often. I understand that. I might say, well, you know, it does not yet appear. You haven't got the finished product yet. God's still at work. Can I hear an amen from you too? Michelangelo would look at a marble, chunk of marble and say, what a beautiful thing that is right there. And another guy, well, it's just a chunk of marble. See, but Michelangelo sees in it the piatta or other things that he, he sees in his mind. God sees in his mind what he already has accomplished for us. Blows my mind. It's the hope in what we shall be. It's not done yet. God's still at work. And it's interesting that John pleads ignorance. He doesn't know the exact future state or appearance of the redeemed, but he's content to wait. The full revelation is coming, has not yet appeared. The psalmist said, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness, O Lord. That's the satisfied end. <laughs> what we are does not appear to the world. What we shall be does not appear to us. And the final thought is the hope in what we should be. And everyone, verse 3 of chapter 3, who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Living in expectancy of seeing him. Look at this quote. The man who knows that God is at the end of the road will make all his life a preparation to meet him. That's our hope. The man who knows that God is at the end of the road will make all of his life a preparation to meet him. There is no incentive quite like it. It's the God who loves us that will one day meet us at the end of the road. No greater motivation. You see, the unbeliever who sins is a creature sinning against his creator, sinning against the law. But the Christian who sins is a child sinning against his father, sinning against love. That's the difference. A group of teenagers were enjoying a party. Someone suggested that they go to a certain restaurant for a good time. I'd rather you took me home, Jan said to her date. My parents don't approve of that place. Huh, afraid your father will hurt you? Someone answered sarcastically. No, Jan replied, I'm not afraid my father will hurt me. I'm afraid I'll hurt my father. You see, that's the difference. And so as we look at this building of edification, to know God is to know love. To know love is to show love. And to show love is to grow, to be built up. And so as we look at these, the building of edification, knowing love, love is perfected when we walk in the light. That means we confess our sins, we keep his commandments, and we're growing spiritually. Secondly, knowing love is opposed to all that is in the world. The definition of the world is important to understand, and the dangers of the world are important to understand and know. And then finally, love is purified in the hope that we will see him. The hope in what we are, the hope in what we shall be, 
and the hope in what we should be in Jesus' return. Stand with me and let's close in prayer and a song, and then I'll close in a short prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would grant to us by your grace a renewal, a stirring up, a hunger to be strong in the word of God, to be well-fed, feeding ourselves and meditating on it. And Lord, whatever it is, Lord, that we need your word. We might hear a lot of good stories, but only your word changes us. And so, Lord, I pray that. I ask that we might be hearing clearer, Lord, a clearer communication. We know, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you are communicating Jesus to us. And the love of God has been poured on our hearts by the Holy Spirit has been given to us. That hope does not disappoint. So we pray and make it our prayer this morning. Give us, Lord, ears to hear the communicating the Holy Spirit into our lives. As we talk about knowing love, walking in the light, confessing sin and keeping your commandments and growing spiritually. Holy Spirit, we would ask you to fill us overflowing. Jesus, we thank you. You are the author and finisher of our faith. You began a good work in us. You will not stop. You will complete that which you've begun. And so we yield ourselves afresh this morning in faith to you who died for us. And Lord, we know the Bible says if we abide in you, and you said if we abide in your word, that we'll be abiding in you. So Lord, again, we want to abide in you. Know you. Walk with you. Follow after you. Walk as you walked. So, Lord, that's, that's our prayer that way. And then this whole idea of purity. Father, we ask you to, even as you said to your disciples, he was washed, he's only have his feet washed. Lord, our feet get dirty every day. We pick up the dust and muck and mire of the world that we're walking through. Lord, cleanse us, wash us, even as you wash your disciples' feet. Cleanse us, Lord, and wash us, even as we leave today, as we got a week set before us. And the world out there to tempt us, and the devil to be the tempter after us. Lord, we right now fill us with your spirit. Cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Wash us clean, even as we've listened to your word this morning. Grant to us, Lord, a freshness, a renewal in our fellowship with you. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us Lord, that strength that you talk about in Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I'm going to raise my hand. If you'd like to also just raise your hand to God and say, Lord, fill, strengthen, cleanse, wash, renew. Oh